Welcome to another episode of Tandem Coaching Academy's Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast. We are your hosts today, Shori Silas and I, Alex Klidnov. And today, Melissa Boggs joins us. And Melissa is known as a Chief Scrum Master at Scrum Alliance recently. Melissa, what else our listeners need to know who Melissa is? Oh, what a kind question. Thank you for having me, first of all, Sheree and Alex. It is a pleasure to be here. Um, so in addition to having served as the Chief Scrum Master of Scrum Alliance, I am also a certified enterprise coach with Scrum Alliance, a certified, co- mm, certified team coach, and have spent the last 12 years of my career just being an agilist. Hmm. And as we talk about your career and career progression, um, what led you to Scrum Alliance? What led you to that kind of top, being at the top of the organization? You know, it's funny, whenever people ask me this question, it's such a winding road. And I think it's so true of so many agilists. Like there's very very few people that I know who came out of, you know, high school saying, I want to be an agile coach. Like every one of us has this amazing, unique, colorful, creative journey. Um, I started my, we'll call it my IT career in QA, um, which is very interesting because when we get to present day, I have found myself now blending those two loves together in my current role. Um, but I started in QA, I started at a very culture rich organization called the Scooter Store that is um, unfortunately no longer around, but while they were, I have never worked at a more human centric, amazing company. Um, And it was at that company that I not only learned about Scrum, but just learned about the importance of self-organization, the importance of people, period. Um, in the work that we do. And so from there, that's where I became a scrum master and have worked in more industries than I can count at this point, Um, just doing agile work. And that led to my CEC journey and just becoming a part of the Scrum Alliance community and a part of the bigger agile community. And so when the time came that Scrum Alliance was looking for a seasoned coach that could help the organization really become what we used to say was the shiny beacon on the hill, you know, uh, an example organization for Agile and Scrum. Um, I jumped at interviewing and was fortunate enough to be selected. So, um, was the most joyful and challenging two years of my career to date. I'm sure there will be more joy and more challenges, but um, certainly both of those things in a two-year span. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there will be challenges. I'm sure there will be joy. It's never endless and never ending journey. Uh, so you mentioned that you wore CTC and CEC prior to your gig with Scrum Alliance. Um, I'm wondering, so we know that those roads are hard and the night is full of terrors. <laughs> and it's, these are competency-based kind of qualification certifications. So 
having all those coaching skills, how did it help you to be a chief scrum master? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't know if I would have even tried <laughs> without having gone through the journey of being of becoming a CEC and a CTC. Um, because frankly, it just made me a better leader. You know, not, not only the prerequisites and the things that you need just to sort of pass the, the bar, if you will, but also the journey itself. Um, I haven't talked about this in quite some time, but the journey to becoming a CEC was a 18 month journey for me from when I first applied until, um, until I received the designation, if you will. And I worked really closely with some mentor coaches and learned a ton about myself so that when I was in that role and I was leading an organization and helping that organization become just a community of agilists themselves, I had a better understanding of myself. I had a better understanding of um what they were going through and then also what I might bring to them, you know, and how I might help them navigate that. I, I think that sometimes we forget because we as Agilists have become so accustomed to it. We forget what a like soul changing experience this can be and at, at the risk of sounding religious and I don't mean to. Um, and so I think it helped me think differently about what I was asking of the people in the organization. Um, also all the normal things that we talk about, right? Systems thinking and um, sort of thinking about change and how to approach it. All of those things came into play. You know, as I've um, watched you over the last few years and more before you were with Scrum Alliance, um, I've come to admire you more and more the more I see your work. And some of the things I really admired over the last couple of years are the really courageous things that you did at Scrum Alliance. Things like the hiring, the way you did hiring, amazing. Um, would you talk a little bit about that? Um, about the hiring? Yeah, like the, the okay. whole take that you brought that people could really learn a lot from? So hiring was one of my favorite things that we did at Scrum Alliance. And while I may have sort of pieced together the pieces, there are a number of Scrum allies that I would completely shout out to for just helping me make it real. Um, and so I'll tell you, um, it started with the book Joy Inc. and Richard Sheridan, who has become a dear friend. So shout out to Rich. Um, they do what they call extreme interviewing. And we kind of took that idea. I'm not going to explain all of it. Definitely read his book. Um, but we took some of his concepts and then some of the things that we wanted out of an interview process. And what ultimately we came up with was a one day event where we brought in all of the top candidates for a particular role. And we quite literally played games with them and spoke with them like human beings, like people, 
one of the biggest principles was to level the playing fields and to recognize that we had an obligation to show ourselves to them in all of our own authenticity. Um, I started every hiring event with saying, uh, we're weird. And so our goal today is to show you how weird we are and make sure that that is something that resonates with you. And so we use um, the empathy toy um, as a tool for kind of engaging and play with them. And then also um, having an opportunity to see how they communicated and for them to see how we communicate. Um, we did speed chat, which is like you would imagine. It's like speed dating, but talking about you know your career. We did lean coffee um, with the co-op. So um, at Scrum Alliance, a co-op is similar to maybe a chapter or a guild in other organizations. So the people across teams who do the same type of work. Um, and so we would have the co-op actually do lean coffee with the candidates. And the interesting thing was having them all come in at the same time. Um, I will never forget, I'm gonna shout out to a specific person, Stacy Summers at Scrum Alliance, who has been um, in the HR space of Scrum Alliance for some time now, thought I was crazy. When I said, Stacy, I wanna bring them all in at the same time and I wanna play games with them and bless her heart, she not only just followed me down the road, but then became like the queen of hiring events. Like she can do a hiring event in her sleep. Um, and so that was pretty amazing to see too. Um, Cause I know she thought I was nuts and I love her for it. Um, so one of the byproducts that frankly, we didn't even really plan on was you've brought several people into the office who are really excellent at the same type of work. So let's use the Scrum Masters, for example. I think the very first one we did was product owner. And then the same week we did a Scrum Master event. Um, but bringing Scrum Masters in, say four or five of them at the same time. And I set the stage by saying, listen, we're all gonna be a community when this hiring process is over, right? We're all here in Denver at the time. Um, we're all here in Denver. We're all going to the same meetups, sometimes the people already knew each other from you know, meetups and user groups. And my goal here is to see if there's a fit between your needs and our needs, but also to continue to create that community so that when we see you again you know, at a gathering or at a meetup that pre-COVID, we hug each other, we high five each other and you know, we have created some community. What that ended up doing is I literally had one, I heard one guest on the way out telling another guest, hey, if this doesn't work out, I know of this role at this other company that wasn't right for me, but it might be right for you based on what you said at Link Coffee. Like they were helping each other on the way out the door. So that was insanely cool and we didn't even plan for it. Um, and then we had one who actually told us, I, I asked them for feedback at the end of the interview every time because we always wanted it to be, to feel fair, to feel like they had a chance to show their best selves. And so I'd asked for feedback and one of them stood up and said, I have to be honest. Normally, you know, you go to an interview, you go home and if someone else gets the job, you're a little bit bitter. 
And in this case, honestly, if any one of us, there were four of them, got the job, I would totally understand because these people are amazing. And ironically, he was the person who got the job, but not because of what he said. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it felt like the purest expression that we could possibly have of our culture and of agility in a hiring event. Um, I also have to shout out to Zach Boniker and Jason Kearney, who sat with me at Agile 2019, as I was like sort of spilling these ideas out and gave me even more ideas. So awesome. It takes so that, a village. Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, pretty radical. And so how are you going to bring that forward for you and the work you're doing with your clients, if you are? So I actually took another full-time job. Um, I am the vice president of business agility for a company called Soft Labs. And what is so amazing about it is that they provide testing automation in the cloud, which is things that agile teams need all the time, right? Like it's such a fun Venn diagram of my agile community and then this new community that I'm still, you know, sort of meeting. I'm in my fourth week at Sauce Labs. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about Sauce is a lot of the culture work has already been done. Like just to give you one example, their values are like transparency and ideas over hierarchy. So I don't have to do that work. <laughs> you know, I get to like really dig into what business agility can really mean in the organization. And um, certainly the things that I learned through that role at Scrum Alliance are already making a difference now. Um, Probably the biggest one just being leadership, period. Like how to be an authentic leader and to be courageous, um, to do really radical and rebellious things, which is like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> radical and rebellious. And sounds like a lot of radical and rebellious things already have been done in that company, which is great, which is great foundation to come to and start building upon. So. Before we go any further into future, um, I would like to maybe not dwell, but to ask you a little bit about the foundation that you got from Scrum Alliance work. And uh, as we talk about Scrum Alliance, we probably we could kind of miss not talking about Scrum. And in Scrum, as we all know, the Scrum Master provides service for the teams, for the product owner, and for the organization. And while we know what the team is, we know what the product owner services are. The organization still kind of that pink elephant that everybody hear about and services to it, but nobody, well, a lot of people just don't know how either to get there or what services to provide to the organization. So you've been in a very unique position. You were a scrum master for the whole organization. What have you learned from that experience? So I do think it's important to, to differentiate um, that my role was both executive and scrum master. Um, and the only reason I wanna differentiate that is that there are some amazing scrum masters that work at Scrum Alliance. So I was not the only one. 
So they worked with their teams day in and day out and some of the best Scrum Masters that I've ever worked with, frankly. Um, from my vantage point in the organization though, um, I had the ability to see the system and I had the ability to hear the stories. And I'll tell you, I think this was the most important thing that we did and I will take it to every new org or client that I ever go to. One of the most important thing you can do is identify the stories and identify a channel for people to tell their stories. Because it is very easy as the, you know, say you're a scrum master of a single team to feel like, how can I possibly influence, you know, say a company of a thousand people. But when you have the opportunity to tell stories and elicit stories from other people, that is what starts a snowball that will become much bigger than you. So at Scrum Alliance, we literally had a Slack channel called storytelling. And when, you know, say one of the Scrum Masters would come to me and say, hey, I, we had this amazing retro and this and this and this came out of the retro. And without fail, like a broken record, my response was always, would you feel comfortable telling that on the storytelling channel? Until finally, every time they would come to me, they would say, yes, I will tell it on the storytelling channel. And it's important because we talk so much about agile leadership and agile leadership is incredibly important. However, there's only so much that the leader can say without also the validation and the connection of other people who are doing the things that you are doing. Like it's easy to point at the leader and say, oh, they're in their ivory tower. They're imposing agile on us. But when you hear other teams say, hey, we just had a sprint review and the actual customers in the sprint review saved us from putting out something that no one will ever use. That's when actually the real influence starts is not only are other teams learning from that team, but those other teams have now been given permission to tell their stories too, whatever the story is. So I think that the most impactful thing that a Scrum Master can do to impact the organization is create and find ways to tell their stories and to encourage other people to tell theirs as well. Otherwise, every team is working in their own silo. Even if you're sharing like what work you're doing, okay. But when they actually tell their stories, then there's this momentum that begins. And we saw that happen at Scrum Alliance. probably not only storytelling itself, but something to say for transparency. Mm -hmm. Transparency within the organization, within your co-ops and within um, the groups. So I want to kind of pull a little bit more on that. Um, I'm curious about juxtaposition of uh, Scrum Master, who is a servant leader, and the title, a title of a co-CEO. What was the interplay between kind of these two? I'm a scrum master and I have power to do whatever I want to do. How did mm. that play out? That was a constant 
internal conflict for me um, at any given time, because here you are, you have, you know, certain ideas about how you would like things to go like any leader would. Um, and you also have the ability to make those things happen. But at the same time, like any other scrum master, any other coach, the last thing that I wanted was false change, right? False um, empowerment. The idea that people are doing things just because I said so. Like my work is about helping people be their best selves. <laughs> you know, my work is about helping people find their voice. To me, that is what the Agile movement is all about. And so if I was just to kind of throw around my title and tell people to do things because I said so, it would be a direct violation of my own values. And so at the end of the day, like leadership should be servant leadership, period. You know, the best leaders that I know are leaders who listen, who are courageous on behalf of their people, not courageous in their people's faces. And so, um, you know, I think you'd have to ask the scrum allies if I succeeded at that, but I'd like to think that I did. Um, when it came to, you know, making some hard choices and things that we absolutely had to do, I just did my best to explain the why. Um, and, and then whenever I had the ability to sort of create choice or elicit creativity out of them to find a solution to something, then I would. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely a balance, but honestly, I think we as, I'm gonna say something very controversial, but I like to be radical and rebellious. <laughs> I think in years past, we as a community have had a position or an attitude about titles and hierarchy. And I understand where it came from and I subscribed to our attitude about it, but every organization has context. And I think also that we have grown the agile movement to this place of business agility, right? And if we're wanting organizations to prioritize business agility and the way that they need to do that is by a title that will give access, that will elevate the ideas, not necessarily the person, it's not about the person, but elevate the ideas in order to make it a priority for the organization, then I think we need to recognize that in their context, that's important. Um, and I say that knowing full well that I now have a title of VP of business agility, but in the context of that organization, that's them making it important. That's them saying, you know, customer centricity and employee centricity is important to us. Therefore, we need this person to have access and to be in the conversation and have a seat at the table. And so, you know, I'm still frankly sort of evaluating and reflecting on my own feelings about hierarchy and title. Um, but mostly I just think that maybe we need to check our moral superiority from time to time and just recognize that every organization has context. And again, I was very guilty of this before, so I'm owning it 
100 percent yeah so every organization's on a journey right they need to do what's best for them um and part of our work as coaches is to help people to uncover what's right for us in our context at this moment in time um there's a vision out in front of us but we have to live right now and so for you as as a coach um how do you blend this these skills that you learn um you're likely have some professional coaching skills and competencies if you're a CEC. Um, but yeah, how do you take that in and use them in your current role? A couple of different ways. Um, you know, in my current positioning, I don't, I don't mean my title, but just where I'm positioned in my organization, I have this like beautiful opportunity to both elevate the scrum masters of the organization. So there are seven scrum masters, um, but also I have the ear of the leaders because they're my peers. And so being able to kind of bridge that gap is one of my favorite things. Like often there is this sort of haves and have nots, or you know, there can be this middle gap between quote unquote leadership and quote unquote frontline workers which those of you, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Um, and so being able to help bridge that gap through coaching, through coaching leaders to, you know, leverage their own position for good and helping scrum masters, but also, you know, our product owners and our teams to use their voices in a powerful and constructive way. Um, is uh, one of the best things to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you've got this unique experience of being in executive roles and being an enterprise coach. And so we've got a lot of agile coaches out in the agile space. Um, what, what do you want to say to them as far as like, I guess, advice or wisdom that you would like to see um, the world of Agile coaching adopt? So two things came up for me when you asked that. <laughs> um, one is, this is one of my favorite phrases, to the point that I'm literally going to get a tattoo that says the audacity of hope. And it's, it's a phrase that I've lifted from former President Obama, but, you know, a lot of times in my career, because of the type of person that I am, which is a sort of endlessly hopeful person, unwilling to hide that and just be, I'm going to be that person. Um, I have been, and I, let me just say, I think a lot of coaches are that way. That's why we do the work that we do, right? And sometimes we can be told, oh, don't be naive. Or, you know, that those are soft skills. How many times have you guys been told that those are soft skills when really they can be some of the hardest skills that there are? Um, so my, I, I don't know, even know if I could call it advice, but if I was sitting around 
a table with a bunch of coaches at a gathering. God, doesn't that sound amazing? Um, I would just say like, don't give up because we are making progress. Like I've been in this work for around 12 years now. And yes, there are times when it's frustrating because the, the agile that we sometimes see in the world is not the agile that we know. But at the same time, there are organizations like Sauce Labs that are making it such a priority and they know exactly what it is. They know exactly what they're getting and they want it. So we are making a difference. We are making change in the world of work. It just takes time. So that would be my first thing. Um, my second thing is I had a major shift of my perspective when I moved into my chief scrum master co-CEO role. I was very guilty of having very shallow, a very shallow level of empathy for leaders. We have a tendency in this community to talk about leaders like they're not human. How do we get a leader on board? How do we reach leaders? But the fact is leaders are human beings who have an immense amount of pressure on them. And we have no idea what those things are. And so the other thing that I would, I would encourage us to do is not just have surface level empathy in the form of manipulation, but actually sit down with them and understand what they're trying to accomplish, not because understanding that can help us get to our own means, because we have all done that, but actually try to understand. Because in the end, I think everyone wants successful organizations. Everyone wants happy, joyful people. And just trying to manipulate leaders into our way of doing it, it might work, but that doesn't make it right. So, and as, it, as, as you're talking about that, the word that keeps coming to mind that you mentioned several times is the culture. The awesome culture at Scooter Store, the culture at uh, Sorcerer Lab. I'm wondering your learnings, your experience as a chief Scrum Master at um, Scrum Alliance and your prior work. Um, what are you taking from that and bringing to blend with existing culture and maybe built on that? At the risk of sounding like I'm like humble bragging, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that was when, when I had to say goodbye to the Scrum Allies, like literally on my last day, they shared uh, this thing called Kudo board where they can like put, you know, different uh, messages to you. And I think out of the 40 or 50 some odd messages on there, seven or eight of them said something along the lines of, thank you for helping me find my voice and for hearing it. And what that tells me is there are tens of hundreds of people in their organizations who feel like they don't have a voice. And so, 
every, when I looked back, like after seeing that and sort of reflecting on it a little bit, when I look back, like a lot of the things that I did and that the scrum masters did and really everyone at Scrum Alliance did had to do with making room for those voices. I mean, even the hiring event that we were talking about earlier, like how do you make room for the voices that are coming into your organization? How do you make room for the voices that are already there? The storytelling channel, um, you know, even just simple scrum things like sprint planning and sprint reviews and retros are all about people having an opportunity to lift their voice, whether it is in support of something or in protest of something or with some new idea. Um, I've, I've always defined culture. I don't even remember where I found this. I, I actually didn't make it up, but I couldn't give credit because I don't remember. But I always define culture as the, the traditions, habits, and behaviors of an organization. And for me, each one of those has to do with voice. Mm -hmm. And also you mentioned uh, kind of in the passing that at Sarsa Lab, in your position as a VP of Business Agility, you are in position to give voice and to elevate Scrum Masters. So I'm curious then, um, Scrum Master is kind of like our job is to work ourselves out, kind of out of our position, right? And kind of to disappear and either and if we don't say anything, probably the teams are great and they are solving their problems, they are removing their impediments, right? And we don't have to facilitate anything and what's not. So uh, what in your mind does it give to the organization to give that additional voice to Scrum Masters to elevate them? I agree with your premise that that's the job, but I have never been in an organization where it stopped there. So yes, you know, I have been in organizations where the teams did become highly, you know, performative and, you know, the scrum master were, scrum masters were able to shift their focus to different things. And maybe it goes back to your earlier question. Like that's when it becomes about the organization. Like you can have two really, really high performing teams, but if you don't have alignment, well, you can have 15 really high performing teams, but if you don't have alignment with sales and marketing, you're going to hit a brick wall. And so the work doesn't stop when scrum teams are having really productive sprint planning and, you know, really enriching retrospectives. Like that's not where the work stops. And I think that's why the scrum guide says that, you know, um, I think really it just opens the door for more work. <laughs> so um, that's when you kind of level up a bit. So, so I was I was hoping you were going that direction, and you did. So, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, in that's the next question. In your specific context, in your organization, what are you trying to achieve at the organizational level by elevating, by giving voice to your scrum masters? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I am in my fourth week 
and really just beginning to see the system. It's a much bigger company than Scrum Alliance. Um, they're at 350 people, uh, probably will be at 400 this year. And I mean, philosophically speaking, I know that I need champions, that the organization needs champions. I know these Scrum Masters are hella smart and um, our experienced Scrum Masters, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, I don't know yet what business agility in the future looks like at Sauce Labs. I just know that the Scrum Masters are a huge part of it. So we talked a lot about the companies you've worked for, and that's great. Um, but I'm really interested in knowing what's the future of Melissa not tied just to a job? Mm. I don't know that either. I'm full of I don't know today. Um, I have had an exceptional couple of years in almost every way. Um, and there are definitely a couple of topics that I have become more and more passionate about. And so I know that my future looks like becoming a voice for those topics. Um, I know that my future continues in the agile space. Like these are my people. Um, and because when I found this space, I felt at home sort of for the first time, like radical and rebellious work is accepted here. And so I know that, you know, I will continue to be part of this community and to give back to this community in as big a way that, that, as I possibly can. Um, but I don't know what it looks like beyond sort of that philosophical belief. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna pull on that radical and rebellious, not the first time I heard you described that way. And I'm wondering, so all the scrum masters, all the agile coaches out there in the um, agile community, if they wanna be radical and rebellious and effective and keep their jobs, um, how would you how would you ask them to go about that? Know your context for sure, um, and sometimes radical and rebellious is not all in one day. You know, sometimes it is built over time. Um, but I think the number one thing that I learned through some of the work I've done in the last couple of years is. none of it is going to ruin you. <laughs> and I know that just sounds super dramatic, but I can be, I can remember the night before the first hiring event, the night before the first product owner hiring event, everything was set up. We knew the people were coming, like literally the room at the office was set up and ready. And I was sick. Like I was sick to my stomach. I was like, what have I done? Is this the craziest <laughs> thing ever? You know, I mean, I literally was like, 
afraid there might be HR things I was like laws that I was breaking, even though I had checked and there were no laws that I was breaking, but it was terrifying. And yet, (laughs) I really hate to make a reference to like a really inappropriate movie, but in The Hangover, when um, there's a, a gentleman who says, but did you die? And, you know, 24 hours later, I was like, that was amazing. Like, that was everything that we hoped it would be. We found an awesome person. Like, but I was terrified. And I can point at time after time in my career that I have been scared to death. And the thing is, we don't talk about that, right? Like, I could easily have just been like, yeah, I did these amazing hiring events. And, you know, I had all the confidence in the world. And it's, dumb for us to not talk about that so you know I would say two things just go for it knowing your context go for it and then when it's all over tell your story so that the people who are coming up after you know that you did it anyway that you were scared to death and you did it anyway and whether it you know works out well or not and I was fortunate that it did in that case but certainly there have been times where things I planned did not turn out well, tell that story too. Um, Because that's how we actually change things around here, here being like the globe, um, is by telling the real deal so that other people will feel safe, you know, trying it too. I cannot believe I just referenced The Hangover in a podcast. (laughs) Well, (laughs) show just what you're talking about, authenticity transparency and courageousness. So thank you. And I would like to add that we do talk about it all day long in coaching sessions. And it's even it's even worse. So uh, I completely admire you just stepping into that situation and be sick to your stomach, but be there. A lot of people just don't get there. A lot of people just like, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, right? And then what's the worst that can happen? You probably will not die, right? So that's the whole kind of sleuth of coaching um, coaching um, work that, uh, that we do uh, day in, day out. So great run, great run before Scrum Alliance, great two years at Scrum Alliance, new job, four weeks, you got promoted on your third week. Great job. Let's let's look forward to the next three weeks. So what what is Melissa looking forward to for the rest of the year? Oh my gosh, are we gonna see human beings this year that are not on Zoom? Because that is what I am looking forward to. Real flesh. <laughs> Real people. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to still get to do things like this. Um, you know, get to still, um, you know, join people on podcasts and do talks, um, even virtually, which is pretty amazing. Um, I do miss human beings, but I have to say, like, I got to do a meetup in India at one point, or, and one in China. And so, you know, I would not have had the opportunity to travel to China, you know, that was not in my role. So I am grateful for that. Like, I've gotten to meet people that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um, so yeah, I mean, I haven't, you know, some of those coming up, um, 
different opportunities to just have these kind of conversations, which are super fun. Um, and also just, I don't know, figuring out what, what is next for me besides doing some very fun work at Sauce Labs. Fantastic. So um, sounds like it's been a fascinating book that you're writing. Several chapters are done and they are pretty amazing. And the new chapter seems to be shaping quite well for you. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today and we wish you all the luck and success in your new role and looking forward to hear a lot of stories about things that you are doing at Source Lab and for the Agile community. And this has been Tandem Coaching Academy, Skipping Agile Coaching, Non-Denominational Podcast. We are your hosts, Shuri Silas and I, Alex Goodenough. Bye now. <laughs>